Can we open the word for just a moment? My heart is really so full today simply because of the presence of the Lord and having so many wonderful friends around <clears throat> and all that's taking place on the campus. And knowing I would have a little shorter time today and um, just a few minutes to share and thinking about the uniqueness of today and what's happening here today, my thoughts were directed to talk about the church. It's one of my favorite topics because I love the church. I believe in the healthy functioning of the church, and the church has great value to me. I certainly have my concerns that here we are in 2015 and the American church can have the propensity to become almost flippant in its understanding of and its appreciation for the church of the living Lord Jesus. In an area like Dallas-Fort Worth where there are options that are endless, it's not unusual to hear conversations that would lead you to believe that some, po some folks select their church with about the same intensity as they would select a restaurant for a meal, and, uh, which is a completely different understanding of the value of the church from those who get it, from those who understand what it is to be in true covenant relationship, involved faithfully in corporate worship, taking on the responsibility to connect with other believers, finding a way to be of service to others through the church, being committed to prayer and ongoing discipleship as well as outreach. That is the healthy functioning of the church. And all of the other activity of the church and all the other engagement of the church stems from those very basic elements. And here we are today on this campus with three services this morning in three languages and blending three cultures together, all glorifying the magnificent name of the Lord Jesus. You know, when I consider this, your mind can't help but race to various scriptures. Becky was taken to the, uh, to the prophet Joel scripture. My mind went to Revelation chapter 5. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and every tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign here upon the earth forever and ever. Hallelujah. You know, it's something we do at our house occasionally. You probably do it at your house. We don't do it often. Sometimes we clear off the dining room table, and we will get a big jigsaw puzzle, typically at a holiday season or uh, maybe the summertime, whenever, whenever it strikes somebody that we would do that. And we may work, we, and when the kids were younger particularly, we might work it on it all together. And, and then maybe one person would work on it as they had time. And you'd see Becky over there getting a few pieces. And, and little, by, little by little, the, what was just so pieces piled up in a, in a pile on the table with colors on them and very indistinguishable, little by little over time, you begin hooking it all together and something magnificent takes place. It takes persistence and time and endurance and staying power to get it all done just right. And that's, that's very much like the church is today. It's very much like what we're called to do. Christ forms us into a holy body from an individual piece to a, a group of pieces who are united in purpose and mission and love for one another and love for the Lord. Can you say amen to that? And when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, 
And we make sure we have things in, in proper order and we understand how this thing should work and that Christ is the head of the church and that he has given us the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us and, and, and give us form and shape and substance, then everything fits together according to his plan. Well, I want us to turn to the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and for just, just a moment, I want us to be reminded of what the, the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians, starting in the 15th verse of chapter 4 of Ephesians, where he said, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into, un, into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working, say those two words, proper Say it, come on, I can't hear you. Say it again. According to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body, which basically means this. If you're not working properly, you're messing me up. It's supposed to be funny. We need to be working properly. But the proper working of each individual part causes growth in the body of Christ. And there's three areas that we're going to focus on in just a second which, with which he closes this chapter that, I, that we're going to talk about as we finish. But the whole chapter is full of solid instructional wisdom on simple behavioral issues that we should clearly understand within the church. Very simple things like throw off your old sinful nature corrupted by lust and deception. And what I love about the way the, the Apostle Paul deals with this chapter is he puts in a lot of instead. In other words, there's an alternative to the way you've been living. And he says, do this instead of doing that. So throw off your old sinful nature corrupted by lust and deception. And instead, let the Spirit of God renew your thoughts and attitudes to be righteous and holy. He says, quit telling lies. Just be honest. Get control of your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, and by doing, doing so, give, give the enemy foothold. He says, quit stealing from other people. Instead, here's the alternative, use your hands to do good things. Another simple thing he says, which we all ought to get, he says, watch your mouth. Get rid of your foul language. It's what the Scripture tells us to do. And instead, here's another one, and instead, use your words to bring encouragement. How many know we all need encouragement? Do you know that the person sitting next to you, probably right now, they need a word of encouragement. There's all kinds of things that bring us down and tear us down and cause us to get completely discouraged. Let's use our words to bring encouragement if we're properly working. He says, don't bring sorrow to, to the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Don't you remember? You've been bought with a price. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, and you belong to Jesus. And so here's the stuff he says that's got to go. Obviously, I'm taking a fast track through this chapter four here. Here's the stuff that's got to go. Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, evil behavior. And there's a real easy way to sum up what the apostle is saying to us in this chapter. He says, in other words, grow up. I got two more words. Stop it. Just stop it. Grow up is what he says. But as we come to verse 32, the last verse of this fourth chapter of Ephesians, Paul gives us another instead. Instead, as he has done throughout the chapter, 
saying repeatedly, like, don't do this, which is destructive and gives the enemy all he needs to sabotage the church. He says, instead, do this, which is telling us as a church how to grow up and how to work properly as the body of Christ. So in, in the last verse of chapter 4, verse 32, Paul, after stating so many destructive, immature behaviors, which obviously he must have identified in the Ephesian, in the Ephesian church, he says this in verse 32. He says, instead... Listed all these things that get rid of. Don't do this. Stop it. Stop it. But instead, do this. Be kind to each other. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Three very simple instructions. Three very simple instead. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. And be forgiving. Now, church, let's not be guilty of falling into that common temptation that seems to happen when we listen to a sermon. We're we're all tempted to. When a verse like that is read or quoted, I bet every one of you right now, you've immediately thought of the number one person who needs to hear this, right? (laughs) Probably your spouse, your child, your co-worker, your boss. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. Be forgiving. You immediately thought of who you think needs to do that, didn't you? Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say, he's preaching to himself and he's talking to me. Come on, do it right now. Because it's our human instinct. It's our human instinct to deflect it off of ourselves. Even when we read simple things in Scripture like this that we ought to know. We want to deflect it off ourselves and, and put it on. I'm, I'm great at doing that. I can, I can take something like that or hear a verse. It's a special skill of mine. I can deflect it right off of me and I can say, oh, God, let Becky hear this message today. Open the eyes of her heart. Give her understanding. Let the convicting power of the Holy Ghost be upon her. And I, you know, I can do that immediately. And she's probably doing the same thing about me. Let him be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. And Paul says... That's what happens to the church that's healthy and the church that's growing up and becoming mature. Kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, even in the midst of diverse cultures, even in the midst of diverse socioeconomic status, diverse educational levels, different skin colors, different backgrounds, different religious upbringings, different family dynamics, The church that is healthy, the church that is growing up, is kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. It's what Paul gives us as the instead. We're not all the same. We don't all view things the same way. But as believers, we we all are part of the body of Christ. And the primary functioning of the body of Christ is through the local church. I'm going to take a little step out of safety zone here to say this. There are some people that you can talk to that are believers who only want to speak of themselves as being people of the kingdom. Oh, but I'm part of the kingdom of God. And they proudly wave the kingdom banner. And these are often people, not always, but often people who go from church to church, from meeting to meeting, from conference to conference, and my experience, Dan talking, my experience is this, is what you find when you closely examine people of that persuasion is that those who wave the kingdom banner use it to disguise and mask their lack of commitment to, involvement in, and value of the local church. 
You see, when you only talk of the church up here, you're waving this kingdom banner, and you only speak of it up here, there is a lack of accountability which many of us would like to avoid. But hear me carefully. Do I believe in the kingdom? Yes. Am I thrilled that I'm part of the kingdom of God? Absolutely. But when that is the banner you wave, then you cause us to look at how your life is being outworked in and through the local church. Because that's where, in the local church, is where all the stuff happens that brings us to maturity and causes us to grow up. Now, if that makes you think that I don't believe in the kingdom for any reason, please allow me to bring this statement into balance. Equally as offensive as those who want to be kingdom-only people and avoid the responsibility and accountability to the local church are those who hail what I call the club mentality. They're part, look at our club. And they almost see the church, they call it the church, but when you hear them talk, they talk of it as if it's a club. Come be part of our club. Because we do this or we do that that's special. We're unique because of this or that. And whether that club being referred to as your local church or your denomination. I've seen denominations tend to take on a club mentality. Our club is the best. We're the ones who are right. We're the ones going to heaven. And the room goes stone cold quiet, Dan. <laughs> one of the many lessons, one of the many great lessons taught by Pastor Des Evans simply by his example, is that we are just a tiny part of the whole of the church of the Lord Jesus. We're a part, delighted to be a part, but we're a tiny part of the whole of the church of the Lord Jesus, even here in Fort Worth. How many years did he publicly pray from this pulpit, asking the Lord to bless this city from Bedford Methodist in the east to the Lutheran church in the west, crisscrossing this city for the glory of the name of Jesus? We heard that over and over and over and over. And what he did by saying that was reminding all of us we're a tiny part of the whole. We're in it, but we're a tiny part of the whole. We're not the only church in town. Clearly my favorite, clearly my choice, and I'm glad it's yours. But we're not a club. We're part of the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. I was raised in a denomination or a fellowship known as the Assemblies of God. Many of you were as well. And to this day, some of the most godly, wise, mature, wonderful, classy, talented, intelligent, real people that I have ever known are part of our fellowship. People who have served as fabulous examples of Christian living and ministry leadership to both Becky and myself. You will meet one such couple this fall when Charles and Ramona Crabtree will be our guests. I also think of a man like James R. Jackson. I don't know if he's in the room today, but for many years, James Jackson served our North Texas district as the district um, secretary treasurer. And for the last few years or months, at least for years, he has been attending this fellowship. Are you here today, Brother Jackson? If you are, would you just raise your hand or stand where I can see you? Is he in the room today? I want you to know about him. In two weeks at the General Council of the Assemblies of God, when it convenes in Orlando, Florida, that man is going to be, uh, it will be ratified, I'm sure, that he will be an executive a presbyter, a, uh, an honorary executive presbyter at the national level. It would be a wonderful honor. And you know what? You don't get there by being flippant about the church. You don't get to a place like that by making lots of bad decisions. 
You only get there by being a godly example to other pastors and other leaders and other people who are committed, solidly committed to the church. Once that ratification has been made by the general council, we will honor him appropriately here in this house. I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for my associations. Is the, our denomination perfect? No, because it's made up of people who are almost as imperfect as I am. But nonetheless, it's a fabulous fellowship. But I want you to know this. My musical journey for the last 30 years took me outside the fence, okay? And to my amazement, there were people outside the Assemblies of God who were Christians. I couldn't believe it. Let me just give you a little quick walk through what, what happened to me. For 12 years, I was the music producer for all the James Robinson Bible conferences that took place in Dallas-Fort Worth. It would alternate between downtown Dallas and downtown Fort Worth. I produced all of Jeannie Rogers' recordings, who was a soloist for James Robinson. At those Bible conferences, I met and got exposed to, up close and personal, the ministries of people like Jack Hayford, Jack Taylor, Mark Rutland, Dudley Hall, many other fine people. And you know what? They loved Jesus. And then I got called from an outfit called Day of Discovery in Grand Rapids, Michigan to produce music for them, a very, very conservative bunch of people, Dutch Reform, Evangelical Free, very, 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 very conservative. And I found out they are godly people who love the Lord. And then a publisher uh, owned by the Nazarene Church called, and, and, and then I worked closely with people from the Church of God in Christ, otherwise known as Kojic. And oh my goodness, do they love the Lord Jesus. And then my friend Kim Noblet called from First Baptist Church of Euless and asked that I produce a, a project for them that became a second and a third. Claude Thomas, many of you know him, was the pastor of the church at that time. There's no one I'd rather work with than, than Kim Noblet. He's one of the most talented, brilliant guys that I know, and he knows how to do it well. And, the, and, and I, I guess I learned that even Baptists love the Lord. And other musical leaders in this area from many of the fine Baptist churches, men like Paul Smith from First Baptist Church in Colleyville, who's retired recently from there. I mean, he's a prince of a man, became a dear, dear close friend of mine. Guys like Paul Paschal, who for years led the illustrious music ministry of North Richland Hills Baptist Church. Quality, quality, quality people. And I got to work with them and be close with them and have fellowship with them and find out their passion for, for the Lord Jesus. I, I, I got mad at Paul because he was the one who had been the longest standing minister music at his church for years, and as long as he was in place, I wasn't the oldest one. But then he retired after 25 years, and folks, I passed him up, and now look what happened. I became the oldest minister of music in all of Tarrant County. What a blessing that was, really a great blessing. And then the day came, this was a big one, when I got a call from a man by the name of Mark Condon from the United Pentecostal Church who today is one of my closest, closest friends. Now, let me explain. We have a pretty significant theological difference with the United Pentecostal Church. They are what we call a oneness or a, or a Jesus only in, in, their, uh, in their theology. Let me tell you, you don't walk into their church and lead the hymn, holy, 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 God in three persons, blessed Trinity. I, I learned that the hard way. Let me just say it that way. You don't do that. But I remember going to Des when I was forming this relationship with Mark, who's a fabulous songwriter. I said, Des, you know, help me here. Is this okay? You know, 
I was, you know, was the minister of music at that time, and he said, oh, Dan, here's the way he answered. He said, I love, of the United Pentecostal Church, I love their emphasis and their focus on the person of Jesus. And they certainly do that very, very, very well. You know what I discovered most of these little theological differences are? Sometimes it's just semantics. It's just the way somebody looked at it sometime and wrote it down and whatever. But the truth is because we are all of one loaf, the scripture tells us. We're all part of the body of Christ. We're all part of the kingdom of God. By the way, you know, if I tell you something you promise, you won't tell anybody, right? <laughs> we're helping Mark Condon plant a church. Bethesda is in Columbus, Ohio. For the next few months, we're helping him. But promise me you won't tell anybody that, okay? And then guess what? The Pentecostal Church of God, I found out recently, moved their headquarters from Joplin, Missouri, to the Mid-Cities area. And they have Messenger College. And, and Marty started, Dr. Marty started telling me that the students from Messenger College, they want to study music at Bethesda School of Ministry that we have here. And so we have all this thing taking place that we're joining arms with other denominations and other fellowships. And some of the, the, the professors and the leaders of Messenger College attend this church on a regular basis. Why am I saying all this to you today? I want to remind us all that the church of Jesus is not an isolated club, but rather it's big and broad and wide, and it's full of incredible people who love the Lord Jesus. It's people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. How about you? A pastor was attending a, a Rotary Club meeting in his town where they were going around introducing themselves one by one, and, and these businessmen and various ones were saying what they did for a living. And it came time for the pastor to speak, and for whatever reason, I, he, he didn't want to just get up and say, I'm the pastor of a church. But at the same time, he also wanted the people in that room to get a sense of, of how great the church of Jesus Christ really is. And so I want to show you how he decided to introduce himself. Okay, sir, it's your turn. Stand and tell us who you are and what you do. He said... <clears throat> I'm with a global enterprise, and we have branches in every country in the world. We have representatives in nearly every parliament, every boardroom on earth. We're into motivation and behavior alteration. We run hospitals, feeding stations, crisis pregnancy centers, universities, publishing houses, and nursing homes. We care for our clients from birth until death. We are into life insurance and fire insurance. We perform spiritual heart transplants. The original organizer owns all the real estate on the planet, plus an assortment of galaxies and constellations. He knows everything and he lives everywhere, but our product is free for the asking. There's not enough money that you can have to buy it. Our CEO was born in a hick town. He worked as a carpenter. He didn't own a home. He was misunderstood by his family, hated by his enemies. He walked on water, condemned to death without a trial, but he rose from the dead and I talked to him every day. Now that's not a bad description of what it is to belong to the church of the Lord Jesus. Our employees may have issues, but our CEO is perfect, amen? amen. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. So Paul says at the end of this fourth chapter of Ephesians, instead, instead, church, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. So why would I bring that up today? 
because on this day we are enlarging our borders. We're taking in new people who don't look like us, may not act like us, and they certainly do not come from the same culture as most of us. But I want to say this. When you get saved, you cannot be prejudiced. When you get saved, you cannot be racist. The blood of Jesus annihilates all of that. So it goes like this here. If you're looking for a white church, don't come here. If you're looking for a black church, don't come here. Because this is the body of Christ. That's who we are. Come on, give the Lord a clap of praise today. Sometimes there's a challenge when you take in new people, particularly people that are different than you are, people who see life and view life differently than you do. And I'm sure we're going to have our bumps along the way. I'm not so naive not to understand that. In fact, this whole thing of taking in someone, it's happened at our house this weekend. Most of you know that my wife is an Iowa farm girl and therefore a lover of animals. Someone in the church had a new litter of kittens. Really? (laughs) And decided that we needed one of them. And given the love of animals in our household, it's very difficult for some of us to turn down animals. And please know we are not looking for any more. Please. Now we have a dog. We have a cat. Thank God the pig is gone. And now we have this new kitten, this new kitten who I really have to say really is pretty adorable. But bringing a new kitten in the house with existing animals was an interesting experience. Because our existing animals are quite settled in their ways. They have figured out how to manage their way through the household to maneuver life to their greatest advantage and comfort. And they weren't necessarily ready to receive a new family member who was a different color than they are and who made a lot of noise. And so there has been an excessive amount of barking and hissing and growling going on at our house. And I got to tell you, I couldn't help but take note of the natural instinct to resist someone new. You still love me? That let all all the air out of the room, didn't it? Knowing that the same thing can happen in the church. But Paul says we're to be kind to each other. So simple. That's how he closes this chapter 4. You're to be kind to each other. By the way, to the person who gave us the kitten who I know is sitting here, everything's fine, we're adjusting, and the kitten is safe, all right? We need to be kind to each other. We need a baptism of kindness, church. We have to fight against the urge to be critical of each other and judge one another, which is our natural instinct. Well, there they go again, sitting in my pew. I had to give it up last week also. Don't they know I've had that pew for years now? Why is she wearing that? Why would she come to church wearing something like that? You know, I never did like the way he did that. That just did not set well with me. Who cares? 
we will find something to criticize, won't we? It's just our human nature. We find something to criticize. But let me just give a little word to me as I give it to you. Just because it comes to your mind doesn't mean you have to say it out loud. Some people say, well, I just tell it like it is. Now, here's a thought. Let's do like David did. Let's put a guard over our mouth. If it doesn't edify, just keep quiet. Just keep quiet. Paul says we're to be kind to each other. Let's speak words of kindness. And that's what he says. When we do that, then we're working properly. According to the earlier part of the chapter. Then we're working properly. Being fit together. Being grown up, maturing, as Christ would have us do. And then he says, be tender-hearted. What does that mean? It means having the ability to hear a testimony or a sermon or to hear what somebody else is going through. Hear somebody else's story. And if you're tender-hearted, their story has the ability to, to literally cut through any cynicism or any judgmental, uh, judgmentalism. Because your heart is tender. It's not crusty and hard. The word of God in a message can go right through you. Tender-hearted means you're, you're easily moved. You're easily affected. It means there's no walls or, or there's no security checkpoints in your heart that people have to try to get through. We tend to have these security checkpoints that think that have to examine every motive of someone. And you want to know the truth? I can't know your heart. You can't know my heart. You know what the Bible says about our heart? It's wicked and deceitful, and who can know it? You don't even know your own heart. How can I know your heart? When you express yourself to me, you say something. What right do I have to have a security checkpoint that you can't get through? That's not the way Paul says. Be tender-hearted. And that's when we do that. We recognize that we need each other. That's working properly. And that's the question we should be asking ourselves today. Lord, with this simple message that Dan is preaching, am I working properly in the church? Am I really in it? Am I really there? And is, am I showing kindness? Do I have a guard over my mouth when I need to? Am I tender-hearted? You know, we need each other, church. There's such a simple story that you've heard me tell this before, and I know the choir's heard me tell this for years. One night, years ago, we had a prayer service going on in this room, and I was leaving the house and walked right by a television that happened to be on. And I saw a special story that was given about the Special Olympics races. And they had just, they had had uh, races before that were the regular Olympics and everyone was hailed. It was a great athlete. But what happened was one of the young people in the Special Olympics, it was Down syndrome, children or young people in it and kids with all kinds of special needs and it was a hundred yard dash and somebody took off. They all took off, 10 or 11 of them in that particular race. And one of them fell down. Scraped himself really bad and scraped his knees and fell down. And the reason this was in this story, this expose, I remember so vividly. 
is that all other 10 runners in that race stopped, ran back, picked him up, and arm in arm, they all went across the finish line together. Is that a picture of the church? Oh, it should be the picture of the church. When we recognize that we need each other. Oh, how we need each other. And then when one member of the body is hurt, all the rest of us cry, ouch. Be kind, be tenderhearted, and be forgiving of each other. Yeah, this may be the big one. You simply, I got to tell you straight, you simply cannot be a successful Christian without forgiving people. Amen, Dan, that's really true. The Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five- and six-year-olds, and after explaining the commandment to honor thy father and mother, she said, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? One little boy quickly raised his hand. He said, yes, thou shalt not kill. <clears throat> Some of us say, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, that's code language for saying you can't forgive. If we accepted God's forgiveness, dear friend, we are mandated to forgive others. If you have been the recipient of God's forgiveness, you are mandated to forgive others. Our reason, our motivation to forgive is because God has forgiven us. Not because the person said their I'm sorry the right way, according to your expectations or my expectations. Not because they looked remorseful. Not because they cried when they said they're sorry. That's not the reason you forgive. Not because we judge them to be really sorry this time. Not because they said they would never do it again and we believed them this time. That's not why you forgive. None of that is the motive to forgive. The truth is because we cannot read each other's hearts. We cannot truly know each other's motives. It goes like this. We forgive because God forgave us. Period. That's the way it goes. That's your motive and nothing else. Dr. Tony Evans says it this way. Forgiveness in the Bible means a decision to no longer credit an offense against an offender. Forgiveness has nothing to do with it. Forgiveness has to do with a decision. It is not first and foremost an emotion. Forgiveness is not on how you are feeling at any given moment. It has to do with whether or not you have made the choice to delete, hit the delete button, delete the offense. And he goes on to say, what's the qualifying measure of whether you have truly forgiven the offense and the offender? He says, are you still seeking revenge? Do you still have a measure of delight in your heart over the possibility of revenge? If, re if vengeance is yours, then forgiveness has not occurred. If you are holding on to vengeance, then you are blocking God from taking care of the situation for you. Because when forgiveness occurs, then the delete button is pushed, or as 1 Corinthians 13 says, you keep no record. You want to know how you know if you're serious about forgiveness? Because then you won't bring other people into it who have nothing to do with the offense. You won't need to go calling Sister Susie or whoever just to have her pray with you over because you want her to know about the offense. No, if you've forgiven... You don't drag other people into it. And also you know you have forgiven when you can make the offender feel at ease with you. 
There are two sides to your story, the need to forgive and the need to be forgiven. There are very few of us in this room today who need, who need to forgive that also do not need to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a beautiful word when you need it. It is an ugly word when you have to give it. But Paul clearly says to us today as we close, musicians, if you want to come, he says, instead, instead, instead of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, instead, the church that is working will be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. A church that is doing that is a church that is working properly. It's a a church that is growing up, and it's a church that is full of love. Stand with me, please, church. In just a moment, we're going to sing, Come Holy Spirit, we need you, and then we'll dismiss the service together. I'm asking the prayer team if you want to come. There will be some folks here who will pray with you today. We're always aware that folks come for prayer for all kinds of reasons. Maybe something was said today, something was sung, something was mentioned that pricked your heart. And you want to respond. There are some in the balcony who can pray with you as well today. They'll, they'll be back toward the windows. Some of our prayer team will be back there today. I can anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. It could be any number of reasons why you're saying, I need to respond today. I need the Lord to help me. I need to understand instead. I need to understand there's a better way. I need to shake off some of those other things. And I want to be, because the truth is, I, want, I don't want there to be security checkpoints in my heart. I don't want my heart to become crusty and hard. I want to be open because I want to be part of the kingdom of God. Whatever it is, whatever you have need of today. As we sing this, I invite you to come.